Good evening. How you doing? I would like to listen to Danielle tell me those awesome, inspiring stories for the rest of my life. She can take golf club and turn it into golf club better than anybody I've ever seen in my whole life. That is awesome. Now, come on, guys. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not manipulating you. But what is it, 1000 a chair? Yep. We need $11,000. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, you can do this. You can do this in this room. Danelle will pay it. No. But Lord, you can, seriously, I don't mean to make a joke out of it. You can do this tonight. Thank you for it, Father. I was just over there in that building. Did the Lord give us a golf club of his? I mean, come on. I'm going to use that illustration forever. I'm not not even going to give you credit for it. I'm just going (laughs) to preach it everywhere. But wow, the building's looking awesome, isn't it? Fantastic. Thank the Lord. Hey, turn in your Bibles to a strange scripture, Exodus 38 and verse 8. I want to get real, real practical with you tonight. Some of you, all of us have survived Thanksgiving. I know it was good. I don't mean to speak like it's not, but it was a strain. I can see the facial tick and some of you ladies are like, I'm here, but I don't know. And, uh, and now we're going to the Christmas season. Awesome. I love Christmas. But I want to talk to you about some things about relationships. All right? Is that all right? Can, is this a good time to do that? I can somebody like, yes, Jesus, before I kill these people. <laughs> My wife uh, went out not too long ago, well, a couple of years ago, and bought a mirror for our bathroom. Now, I don't know, I'm probably just like you guys. When I see myself in the mirror just walking by, I just go, well, you know, there I am, right? I mean, it's not any big thing. I don't think I'm Brad Pitt or Denzel. I just look and go, there I am. You know, sometimes I go, oh gosh, I didn't do a thing, but it's no big deal. I'm just, you know, there you are in the mirror. I think probably you always feel like that. My wife went out and bought one of these mirrors that if the sun hit it, our, our house would burst into flame. You know what I'm talking about? It magnifies so big. And then it's got like red skin stadium lights around it. You know what I'm talking about? Like Klieg, they call them Klieg lights. Like the kind of lights the Redskins play under. When you stick your face in front of that, no matter what you thought you looked like, that's not what you look like. You look like something out of a horror movie. I call this thing Beelzebub. That means Lord of the Flies. I mean, when I stick what I think is just my normal face in front of this demonic mirror, everything wrong with this face is on full display. I think Bev even has like a camera in there and she's snapping pictures and posting stuff on Facebook. You know what the kind of, you got, you ladies know what I'm, men are looking at me like, what are you talking about? The women know exactly what I'm talking about. These big amplifying, you know, just make you, you just, you just want to avoid it with all of your heart because you just, whatever you thought you looked like, you don't. You're 900 years older and, you know, like flashing lights come on and say, you're so fat or whatever. I don't know. Just, you know, just. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, these evil demonics, got a voice, got a face that appears, kind of like the Snow White movie and the whole thing. It's terrible. And I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go to the Word in a minute. I'm just, have, I'm just, getting, just healing up here. So I've asked her to take it out, and she's refused. But anyway, I want to talk to you tonight about mirrors. And I want to tell you a principle in the Word that's, that's a good principle for you to know when it comes to interpreting the Word, and then we'll dive in here. There's a, there's a principle of interpretation of the Bible called the law of first mention. 
And that is when something is first mentioned in the word, it sets up a pattern or, or, or a truth we need to understand that then applies to every time that, that truth or that word is mentioned throughout the Bible. Okay? And so I want to take you to the first mention of mirrors in the Bible. Okay? So let's look at Exodus 38. And what we're reading about here is that is, is the design and the use of the tabernacle. Now, in the Old Testament, everything is about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is revealed from heaven. Uh, the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle that becomes the temple, uh, is patterned after the heavenly pattern. And what the priests are doing is patterned after what Jesus is doing. And so it's a very, very important thing for us, for us to know. But I only want to talk about one, one part of the whole thing tonight. Because in this verse, Exodus 38, it says this. They made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, what is that talking about? As you come into the tabernacle, this, this, you guys can't see the pad that I'm walking on up here. Let's just say the stage is the tabernacle. You come into the outside of the tabernacle, and the first thing you come to is the altar. And the altar is where the priests would sacrifice the animals. You, you, you know this. You've, you've read this many times. And so these priests, which, by the way, aren't, aren't little tiny guys. They've got, got to have big muscles. They've got to lift up these bulls and these animals and carry them around and cut them in half and open them up and gut them and all that kind of thing. So they're almost like butchers. And so they sacrifice the animal on the altar where there's flame. Okay? The next thing they come to is a basin. Okay? And... What are, there, what are they covered with? If they've been sacrificing animals, and sometimes in the Bible, hundreds of animals in one day, right? So they are covered with blood, right? Well, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that this, this basin, which in old King James language was called the brazen laver, it just means the bronze uh, you know, basin or the big bronze bowl, it says this was made of the bronze basin and its bronze stand were made from the mirrors of the women. So you have a great big bowl that is made from mirrors. Now, how's that possible? Well, back in the day that the Bible was written, back in this period of time, there was no such thing of the glass mirrors like what you have now, or the one I was just cursing uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, but the, the, it, instead, what they called mirrors was polished bronze, okay? So a woman would have, might have a mirror, obviously they did, but it wouldn't have been glass. They didn't have that technology. So they would have had highly polished bronze. So when, when God said, build a bowl that's made of bronze, the most refined, polished, quality bronze around were the mirrors of the women. So they collected all those, all the women gave up their mirrors, and they created this basin. Okay, now picture it. So you have this basin, and what's the basin filled with? Water, okay? And here's how it would go. A priest would come, and his arms would be covered with blood, and maybe his face and his chest, you know, where he'd been basically being a butcher over here, processing these sacrifices according to the law of God. And now he comes to the basin. Basin. Well, now follow me, because this is important. This is an image we're supposed to have in our heads all throughout the Bible. When he bends over and looks down into the water to reach into it, what does he see? He sees himself in the mirrors, right? He sees his reflection, Okay. Now remember, everything about the tabernacle is about us understanding what God's doing in our midst, what Jesus is doing, what God wants to accomplish. 
because the priest is, represents all of us. So the priest represents, you know, because he's just like Jesus. And so he bends over, he looks into this big basin of water, having just sacrificed all these animals. He's basically covered in blood. He sees himself, and which means he sees his fallen humanity. He sees himself like I see myself in Beelzebub, the mirror in our bathroom that shows you everything that's wrong with you, right? He bends over, he sees his humanity, and what's the next thing that happens? He plunges his hands, his arms into that water, and what happens? The water becomes bloody. He can't see himself anymore. He can only see the blood. I'm going to pause right there and let us have church. He can't see himself anymore. All he can see is the blood, right? Now, this is important not just because it's fun to preach and it sets us free. It's important because it's the first mention of mirrors in the Bible, so every other time throughout the Bible that a mirror is mentioned, we're supposed to at least think about this. We're supposed to think about it in, not just in terms of our modern world, because our modern mirrors weren't really like theirs, but in terms of this one. But i got to go back to that for just a moment. Part of the liberation that God wants to accomplish is that you don't think about yourself in terms of your sins, but that you think about yourself in terms of the freedom and the cleansing of sin that Jesus brought. Now, come on. And I know what it's like. I know I'm playing around and having fun and picking on Bev because she's not here and I'm scared of her. So if she was here, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, uh, Bev's my wife, by the way. Some of you are like, who is this Bev woman you're picking on? Uh, but I'm just playing about this, this mirror. But, but I mean, we all know what it's like to look into the mirror of our souls and remember our nasty sins. Remember that thing that makes us squirm when we think about it. With our, you know, we lay our head on our pillows at night. We remember back however many years ago that horrible, terrible thing we did or the thing we said. Or, you know, I mean, you know, we could all get depressed that way. But the image we've got to have in our, in our minds is that when we get focused on who we are and what we've done and the warts and the, and the you know, scars on our faces and our souls and our bodies, it's at that moment that the blood colors that water, and we can't see ourselves anymore. We can only see the blood that has been spilled. That's the image that Jesus wants us to have. And it's connected to a verse, a whole bunch of verses, actually, from Psalm 103. I want you to, you can, you can turn there later, but just listen and let me read it now to you, because this is the, really the scripture that goes with this image that I want you to have. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse. Some of you need to hear this tonight. He will not always accuse. He's he's also not going to harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us. Here's the operative phrase. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Come on. Come on. You know that. He does not treat us, or else some of us would burst into flame right here in this room, right? I committed enough ugly sinfulness in my life that if he has not extended his mercy, lightning is going to hit me right now. I'm not kidding. That's, that's the wrath of God would be justified in falling on me. But you know what happened? The reflection of Stephen Mansfield got colored by the blood of the sacrifice. And now I'm hidden in that blood. But that's what this verse is saying. Listen to the, listen to the mercy in this verse. Listen to the compassion. In this verse, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquity. Some of us live tensed up, waiting for God to 
have a bad day when he decides to remember how stinky we really are? And he doesn't remember that way. But listen to what this says here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him that he gives them golf clubs. I'm sorry, I had as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're just dust. He remembers that we're just wet paper. He remembers that we're dusty cardboard. You know what I'm talking about. He remembers that we're just tissue. We're just mud. You know, we're just, we're nothing. He did, we don't have anything in and of ourselves. The life of mortals, meaning all of us in this room, is like grass. They flourish like flower of the field and the wind blows over it. It's gone. Its place is remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. It is righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. I mean, how powerful that God loves you so much that he does not deal with you as your sins deserve. And as soon as I say those words, I'm hoping going forward in your life, you hear the sound of a splash, a splash of bloody arms into water, and you can't see yourself anymore. If that could happen in our heads, we'd be changed. And, and, and I'm going to ask tonight uh, that we, we, we finish our time together here in a few minutes with some prayer that the Lord really makes that a reality. Because if that reality, the idea that he doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve, that he has sent his son, that he has washed us in his blood, that he's not thinking about that dad, bad thing that you did when you were 14 or 28 or whatever age, you know, that thing that kind of, you kind of, oh God, he has forgiven it and cleansed it. He has made it nothing. He has washed it away. If you can have that, not just as a mental reality, but as a reality in your soul, in your spirit, a certainty, it will change you and it will change your attitude towards other people. One quick story, and then I want to take you to the most important place in the New Testament where a mirror is mentioned. The great uh, reformer Martin Luther uh, had a vision of Jesus. He, he records this. We don't, we don't write this very much in the church history books, but he had a vision of Jesus. And the devil had been accusing him, and there's this place they show you in Germany, even to this day, where Luther lived, where he, the devil was accusing Luther, and he took his, uh, kind of his inkwell, the thing filled with ink, and he threw it at the devil, and there's this ink stain on the wall that I think they repainted last year, but whatever, it doesn't matter. The point is that, uh, that, that this is the story they tell. But Luther wrote and said that Jesus appeared to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, Luther said, Lord, forgive me for, this, for the sins that have been besetting my life. And, and the Lord listened and, and just kind of nodded his head. And, and, and Luther confessed some specific sins. And, and the Lord said, you're, you're forgiven. And there was a pause in the conversation. And, and Luther then said, Lord, really, I'm, I'm, you know how we are. We, we say it five or six more times because we're still dealing with it, right? Lord, forgive me. And the Lord looked at him and said, what? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And the Lord had wiped it from his memory and could, would not continue the conversation about his sins because he had asked forgiveness, he had been cleansed, and it was over. Once and for all, the sound you're hearing is the splash of the blood into the mirror, over the mirror, we're constantly trying to look at. See, the problem is not Jesus forgetting our sins. The problem is us. 
The problem is believing that we are cleansed. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why am I anchoring so much of this on the front end? Because I want to take you also to the place I think some of you already have realized um, in the New Testament is where, uh, where this, this image of the mirror is used. Because it's interesting, the next time that we find the powerful image of the mirror used in the New Testament. Remember, every time the word mirror comes up in the Bible, you're supposed to remember this image that is the first time it's mentioned in the Old Testament. But the next time it comes up, it's in the great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. Wow. So there must be a connection between love and how much we understand the power of the blood to wash it away. Now, you've read the great passage on love, you know, love is this and love is that, and then it comes down to verse 8, for chapter 13. You don't have to turn there, but you sure can. And in God's version of the Bible, the New International Version, uh, it, it says this. <laughs> love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And there are, where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. And it goes on like that. You know this passage. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. And then it says in verse 12, for now... We see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. So the Holy Spirit is connecting up this image of the mirror to the great truths on love that are being revealed in 1 Corinthians 13. There's some connection between loving people as we are called to and as the Holy Spirit who is within us, shedding abroad the love of Christ in our hearts, according to Galatians 5, there's some connection between the ability to love people and our understanding of this truth of the mirror, which is that if we're looking at things in the natural, if we're looking at things in the flesh, if we're seeing only the reflection of the flesh, then we will not understand the higher thing that Jesus is always doing, the cleansing that he's always about. And so it's fantastic that the next time we run into the big image of the mirror, it's sitting right there connected to the truth about love. That God knows that we only see a reflection as in a mirror. We're only seeing what is, what is kind of distorted because it's watery and unclear, and, and, we're, and, and we're just concentrating on an unclear image of the flesh and it's not until the cleansing happens. It's not until the, the, the great sacrifice of Jesus happens and we allow that work that really we begin to see face to face, that we begin to see things as they really are. The King James version of this verse says, we see through a glass darkly. Remember that verse? We see through a glass darkly. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Because, and I don't mean this as a criticism, because we have not really deep in our souls accepted this truth that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and that we no longer should know, each, know ourselves or remember ourselves after the flesh, but that we should cling to the reality that Jesus has washed our sins away. It's what we sing. It's what we believe. It's what we celebrate. It's what we preach. It has to become a living reality in our souls. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's the, here's the critical key that I think for many of us will change, not just our Christmas seasons, but how we go forward uh, in the coming months and years. And that is that if we have not accepted this this reality for ourselves, then we will have a hard time seeing past the sinfulness and the scars and the zits and the blackheads and the nastiness of other people. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? 
It's because I haven't fully received the forgiveness of Jesus in my own soul as a deep reality so that I'm broken and I'm just, I can't believe I'm forgiven in such a wonderful way. And how could I ever hold anybody else's sins against them? How could I ever beat on anybody else for how they failed? How could I ever mistreat anybody else and look at them after the flesh when Jesus has plunged his bloody hands into the waters that cover my image? You follow what I'm saying? So once I've been touched, once I've been changed, now I'm free to love without keeping record of your sins and my sins. Otherwise, we are in perpetual war. And isn't that the, the whole history of humanity? Nobody knows how to get out of the fight. Somebody insulted somebody's mother down at the corner, and now the gang, they're fighting the gangs, the wars, the nations, the peoples, the races. They're all fighting because no one knows how to bring it to an end. Nobody knows how to stop keeping a record of wrongs. And the sound you need to hear is the sound of the splash into the water of the blood of the sacrificing, the sacrifice washing the, the human fleshly image away. Now, having said all that, let me get really, really practical because I don't want to just preach you happy and say, go forth and have Christmas. Amen. Okay? I want you to have a great Christmas. But you already know that the holidays for some people are the worst time of the year. And it's the worst time of the year because we get thrown together with all these other people who are not holy like we are. They are sinners. I, am ha- I have to live with sinners. It's, it's distressing to me. It's hard to be an eagle when God puts you with all of these turkeys. I mean, how can I do it? You, you hear the haughtiness, right? And, and, and you all have got great, holy, beautiful, magnificent families, but my family is a bunch of mean Martians. I mean, they, have you seen the movie Alien, like with the head coming up out of the chest? You know, that kind of, this is my family. I'm just telling you straight up. And if I keep a record of what my brother got from my mother that I didn't, I'll only, I'll only go real for a few minutes here. Okay, you ready? If I keep a record of the last mean thing my sister said to me, if I keep a record of the last time, I mean, whatever, right? You follow what I'm saying? Whatever bad thing happened to me in the state of Georgia before I drive down there for the holiday, you follow what I mean? If I keep a record of those things, I will be small and bitter, and I will keep a a scorecard with everybody I know. And there's only one way out of it. You've got to deal with people the way the Father has dealt with you. That's the only way out of it. I'm just, I'm just trying to be straight with you. I am too small, too petty, too competitive. Could just somebody help me and say amen. Just act, just act like you know what I'm talking about. Just pretend. I am too small, too petty, too much a sinner. My, my soul is covered in Velcro. It attaches to every lint, every piece of dust and dirt floating around my life. You, you understand what I'm saying. I want to be free. I want to be clean. I want to be able to love as the Father loves. How does the Father love? How did Jesus love Martin Luther? How does he, how does he engage us? He wipes the sin away. Don't think he just said one day, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. No big deal. That's not what he said. What he said was, you, can't, you know, your sins are so vile, I'd be justified in just setting you aflame right now. I'd be justified in killing the whole nation of you. You are, you are unfaithful wives, Israel. You are nasty. You are dirty. Your sins are horrible. I'm going to sacrifice my son to deal with it. Then once he sacrificed his son to deal with it, that was it. It's cleansed. Let's go. 
And then he looked up and found a lot of us, me included in my life, treating people the exact opposite of the way he had treated me. And so when I got thrown together with sinners in my life, I found myself being the opposite of the way the Father had made me. And then I began to realize the only way to deal with this record-keeping, small, petty, easily offended, bitter, harsh, uh, acid thing in my soul was to be like my Father and not hold a scorecard anymore, not treat people as their sins deserve. Come on, can we, can we lift up to that point? So... So let me just give you some brief suggestions for the holiday. Okay, just some brief suggestions. This is, this, this, I was going to make this sermon humorous and call it Mansfield's Seven Suggestions for Surviving Christmas. But I want to go beyond that. First of all, I want you to keep in mind that you too are weak. Okay? With the son you're disappointed with, with the aunt who is coming, with the whatever. I, I don't mean, I don't want to, I can't list everything. But we all know that not only during the holidays, but other times in our lives, even in our interaction with other believers, we have to deal uh, with situations where, where we could keep a record of wrong and get focused on the wrongs done to us and the wrongs that people have done. And the Bible constantly says, remember that you too are flesh. Remember that you too have messed up. Come on. I, I helped coach a high school football team in Nashville, and there was a kid from Africa uh, I'm not just, that's not my way of saying black. It was a kid from Africa who was coming over to learn football. And he was constantly getting into fights. He's about my size, by the way, like 15. And, uh, and I, he had a funny way of saying it. I would say, what are you doing? He said, I had to give him a beatment. I had to give him a beatment. I never taught you beatment. What is this beatment? I see on the TV in the NFL, the beatments. Come to my house, watch football. So what he's doing is he's watching these guys get in fights, and he assumes that if he gets hit at the wrong angle, he gives them a beatment. <laughs> and so he's just pounding these guys, getting thrown out of games and stuff. Finally, I had to say to him, I, I didn't even know it was going to be a big thing to him. I said, look, I know exactly how you feel. I do. He goes, you do? I do. I've wanted to give a beatment to Almost everybody I know. You know what I mean? I, 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 especially when I play football. And by the way, it's semi-acceptable in football. In basketball, it's not at all. I understand beatments. You understand the beatments? We went, this went on. You can't believe how long this went on. What moved him was that I felt what he felt, but didn't act on it. Which is only the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me trust you. Otherwise, I'll be doing a beatment on the elders before I leave the, or the ushers or Jim or whoever. I mean, I just beat, they just call me beatment by my middle name. You know what I'm saying? And apart from the Holy Spirit, that's who I am. This kid was so cute because when he understood that you could feel it and not act on it, it was liberation for him. So first of all, be free from a beatment, okay? And second of all, experience the deliverance of dealing with people cognizant and aware of your own weakness, right? Are they really doing stuff that's just impossible for you? 
I mean, I'm walking in relative holiness these days. I have to repent of my sins, but I'm not doing the stuff I used to do. But there's not any sin anybody's ever committed that I don't have some distant connection to. Come on, can we own that? I mean, I watch stuff on TV and I go, oh gosh, that's nasty. But I know that in my lesser sinful self, could we just deal with people with a little of compassion, realizing that but for the grace of Jesus, there we are. I got my stinky relatives too. I got my stinky pagan relatives too. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying I can at least relate to what it's like to want to give a beatment, you know, or, or whatever else it is that people are tempted to do. I mean, I don't get drunk, but at least I understand. I don't get high, but I understand. I don't steal, but I, at least I, under, I can at least remember what it's like to be out of control, right? And, and to, and to not, not have any control over yourself and to be doing what the tribe does. And if we could just deal with people in mercy. As the Father said in Psalm 103, aware of people's weaknesses, I think we'd have more of the Father's kind of impact on their lives. And and the real lesson for me was the transformation of this young guy who was so sincere, and he wasn't really angry at the people he was beating up. He just thought that was the way it was supposed to be because that's what he felt. And he thought that football was like put people in a field, put them in pads, and turn them loose to do whatever they feel like doing in the next hour, right? And beat them was what he wanted to do. When he understood that you could feel it, but that the higher game... The greater way to play was to not give in to the lesser drives, then he was free. And the funniest, some of the funniest words I've ever heard, three or four weeks later, he was missing where he was supposed to be in a practice. He had a guy, he was holding him by his face mask, this little 15-year-old, holding him by his face mask going to the side. And I said, get, get over here and get, what are you doing? He said, I teach him not to beat bent. I teach him not to do the beat bent. And he had figured out, a guy got in a fight, and he went over and thought he'd deliver him from the beat bent spirit, you know? <laughs> And it's a silly illustration, but isn't this the way we're called to be? To remember that we too are flesh? So that sister, that brother, that relatives, the people, not just at Christmas, but in our lives. If we could just say, I know what that's like, but Jesus delivered me. And so I understand what you're feeling. Number two is this. Remember always that God is doing more than you know. I say this as often as I possibly can about politics, about what what Jesus is doing up on the hill, about what Jesus is doing in the lives of famous people. God is always doing more than you know. And he's doing more than you know in that relative you are hoping gets lost between here and wherever it is that they are coming from to your house. Do you know what I'm saying? That Santa Claus kidnaps them somewhere along I whatever. And they don't actually end up coming. You know what I'm talking about. We all have that person like, Jesus, I, could I just hang with you and my family and not bring Aunt whatever to the house? I mean, that's just how we are. Come on. And, but God is doing more than you know. Philo of Alexandria, a guy who lived centuries ago, said this, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Everyone you meet has got their own struggles. They got their own battles. They got their own stuff. Be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle of their own. So, so let's, let's remember that God's working in their lives, just as he's working in yours. Remember this too. Don't keep a record of sins. What's got you irritated, and it does with me too, is that I remember the wrongs. I have a little problem. I'm a historian by training. So I remember the past as a matter of profession. Well, I've also got a problem in that I can remember every wrong ever done me, okay? I can remember what they were wearing and what day it was and what the thermostat was set on and what we had for lunch. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, some of you want to say amen, you just don't want to say it out loud. I mean, 
I know what it's like to remember wrongs. I can rehearse them, and I do to my steering wheel by the hour when I'm alone, you, you know? And all this does is deepen the bondage. So forgive in advance. Some of you kind of say to yourself, you know, on January the 2nd, I'm going to forgive all these turkeys. Well, how about we forgive them in advance, and then the Holy Spirit's able to work because we're not sitting there holding our little pie. Well, there's another one. They ate all the pie. Or here we go. And just whatever it is. And I know I'm making it serious, but for some of us, you know, for some of us, it's serious stuff that's happened in our history. I understand. I understand. Could we, could we release it and let it go beforehand? Maybe let the Holy Spirit work? I want you to remember, too, I want to urge you to remember destiny. Did you ever have anyone speak to you, not in terms of who you are, but in, whom, in terms of who they saw you to be? Yes. If you ever have anything like that, thank you very much. I'm just sweating up here. Um, if you guys would receive this word, I could quit and go on. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> really. right. I just don't know what's going on. Um, did, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever had anybody, maybe it was Pastor Brett, Pastor Jim, Rob, you know, Dan, Dan, Danielle, whoever, just, or years ago in your life, somebody just didn't talk to you like you were the disappointing thing maybe you were at that time, but spoke to you in terms of what they could see that you were going to be, right? And I know that in, every, in our every nation family, you know, we'll say, hey, hero, hey, champion, but I'll tell you what, the first time somebody comes up, I had a little old lady, she worked in the kitchen at my university before, just about the second I got saved, I met her. And she said, you know, I think, I think God has called you to be a leader. And you can't imagine how much of a mess I was. I think God's called you to be a leader. And I just, I just see you that way. And she gave me a little hug and she walked off. And I stood there in the middle of the cafeteria in front of thousands of people and bawled my eyes out. And the reason I did was I grew up in the home of a high-ranking military man who loved me, but his way of loving me was to do six o'clock in the morning room inspections and to talk to me like a drill sergeant. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And to ask me how many push-ups I had done and to figure out a new way to restrict me to my room. And, and so nobody, I mean, my parents were kind, but they never had sort of pushed that boundary. How about we do that? How about we deal with people not in terms of who they are, but like the father in terms of what they have the potential and the possibility to be? How about we affirm what we can in their lives? Do you know how this will feel to people? Do you know that people can feel through the air in the, in the invisible realm, they can feel our record-keeping and disappointment? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. How about we turn it around? How about the kid who drives us crazy? We say, man, you're just you're gifted. Gosh, let, what, you know, just, just, just amazing. You might have to practice it in the mirror for six months before it happens. But I'm just saying, can you, can you just get the words out? Send it on a tape. Send a recording. I don't know. But can you just start to deal with people that way? And then one of the things the Father has taught us to do in these verses is to be generous with people. I'm not saying throw money at them and hope they'll go away. I'm talking about be generous with people. Give. Give. How do we overcome evil? With good. How do you be good? Be generous. And finally, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. When you, when you see these people, when you deal with people, I'm not just talking about, like I say, over the holidays, but in your life, in this world that's growing more and more tumultuous and difficult and painful, and, and uh, people, we got, you know, we got, I got a new set of people to give for di forgive today. I'm not making a joke. Three guys killed a bunch of people in San Bernardino, California. Well, whatever else has got to happen, I got to forgive those guys because I'm ticked off today enough to want to go out there and find them. Do you, you know what I mean? I, I don't know what I do when I got there, but I'm just saying, 
we got a lot of people to forgive in this world. we got people to forgive on the hill. we got people to forgive in our world. we got people to forgive who don't look like us. we we got a lot of forgiving to do in this world if we're going to get through it and be Jesus' people. But Lord, have mercy. We're asking God to give us nations. If we can't forgive Aunt Sue, right? If we can't forgive the guy we dated in high school or the girl we can't, you know what I'm saying? This is the training ground for the bigger leagues that we're called to. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Now, come on, let's bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to take these things we've heard and make them reality in our hearts. Lord God, we thank you that you love us enough. We just want to stop for a moment and say thank you for that powerful image, which wasn't made up by some preacher or some writer, but was put there by you, that you made the bowl of cleansing so it would reflect our image, and then that image would be completely washed out by the blood. We thank you tonight for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the privilege tonight of getting honest and getting real with ourselves and saying we got some people in our lives we're not happy about. We got some people in our lives we got to fight through. We, we, we got some people that, that we have to deal with, family, friends, neighbors, whatever, office workers with us, co-workers, whatever. We, we have not been perfected in love as you've called us to. What we want, Father, what we cry out for this evening is that first you will make the forgiveness and cleansing of Jesus a reality in our own souls. That those tonight who lay on their beds at night and are tormented by their former deeds and sins, those who are reminded of them, those who are tormented by the enemy when it comes to their sins and previous deeds, may that activity of torment be stopped in the name of Jesus and may the blood of Jesus cleanse permanently that reality be a certainty in our hearts. But Father, we go beyond that. We're grateful, Father, for the difficult personalities, the, the troubled history, the things that have been hard in some relationships. We're asking for victory tonight, not in the sense that we don't feel it, not in the sense that it's not there or we pretend like it's not a reality, but in the sense that we want to deal with these people who have been troublesome to us the way you deal with us. May we not have attitudes towards them as their sins deserve, to use that scripture from 103, Psalm 103. May we be generous. May we be kind. May we remember their destiny. May we remember what you're doing. May we be humble to believe that you're doing more than we know, that you're working in people's lives. We want to remember Jesus. We want to see Jesus between us and every difficult relationship we have. Heal and restore, O oh God. Turn fathers to sons, sons to fathers, mothers to daughters, daughters to mothers. Heal and reconcile that your people and the church in which your people live, that the body of Christ might look like the true body of the sacrificed lamb, and that we might show this troubled, violent, shooter-ridden, angry, bitter world what it means to burn up the scorecards and to love as Jesus loved. Give us the practical steps. Give us a battle plan. And teach us how not to deal with those in our lives as their sins deserve. Because you chose not to deal with us as our sins deserve. And we give you praise. And everyone said, Amen.